0: Revelation chapter 14. How many of you guys are fired up for church today? Oh, okay. I could probably ask anything right then, you guys would just start yelling. I, I literally just told the 9 a.m. service that they were the 9 a.m. service and they started hooting and hollering. I was like, I didn't even say anything, you know. Here's the deal, though. we're about to study God's word. And 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 I'm excited about church. And it's such such a powerful time of worship, and I just I had to shut my, I had to shut myself off a little bit in the back there. If I didn't shut myself off, I'd be even in a bigger mess than I am now. The Lord was just I just I hey that's enough I got stuff to do Lord you know <laughs> He's just plowing down my row. Good stuff. I'm so thankful. And and now when we open up the Word, I don't know I don't know how it impacts you. I want it to impact you deeply. If you're like me, you're a mere mortal. You're just, you're just a dude, you're just a you're just, a, per, you're just a, a woman, you're just a person. Good days, bad days. What we're about to do, though, is life-changing. The word of God is alive and it's active. It searches our hearts and minds. It will show you things today. that will change your life forever. Last night as I was studying, I had a couple different Bibles next to me, my, my older teaching Bible and my current teaching Bible and So I grabbed my older one and I opened it. I just read verse one of chapter 14 of Revelation. And I just shut my eyes. I just set it down. I was like, oh my gosh. And I began to just see the Lord and the hope in Jesus and the plan. Just immediately, just one verse in. And all the challenges and battles of that day and in my life and in the future and in the past and in the present, everything. Ah, This is the power of God's word. What he declares But you're just like me, you forget. You get weird, your feet get dirty, you get sinful. You just, you forget. And so at the beginning of the service, I don't want you to waste your time. I don't wanna waste my time. I don't wanna waste your time and I don't want you to waste my time. Let's not waste this time. I read a statistic last night that in group settings, when someone talks like this, 70 to 80% of the people won't listen And won't do what they just heard. I think it was collectively, you know. Most likely it was probably a freshman college campus that they (laughs) polled. Maybe not the 11 a.m. service, of course. (laughs) I started thinking about that. I was like, what's up with that? In a congregation of our size, you know, there's upwards of 800 to 1,000 people on a a packed day that'll come through. And I began to think about the numbers last night. If 1,000 people, that's a big number, probably won't happen today, but... If that many people come through all day at our 9, 11, and 6, that means upwards of seven to 800 people won't hear it, but 100 or 200 or 300 will. I thought, that's crazy. That's, that's a big number, and so I made a decision to come to work today for you guys, and I began to think about it. sometimes Sometimes we don't mean to not listen. You ever done that before? You just, you, just, you don't, it's not, you want to but you just, you're, you got distracted. Have you ever read a whole page of a book before and you got to the bottom and you're like, whoops. <laughs> I did, did not, I was not there. I was somewhere else. And in order to retain that information, you don't just go to the next page. You go back. You read it again. You're like, I, I, I missed it. I didn't get anything. It's not your fault. It wasn't your fault. You just got distracted. Listen, please. There's other times where you just, you, 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 you're there, but you're not there. Not this service. Maybe the 6 p.m. Those guys are shady. (sighs) If You've been to the 6 p.m.? Man. Women coming up to take communion, bringing their purses with them. You know, they're not leaving it it there. I'm just... Sorry. I'm kidding. I'll tell them to their face. Anyways... (laughs) Here's my point. Here's my point. We get distracted. It happens. But then there's those times where I just, I, and I, I just I implore you, don't waste your time. Don't come to church and be on your phone. Or don't come to church and be checked out. Don't come to church and be checking people out. Don't come to church for those reasons. And I remember when I started reading my Bible publicly, back when I was about 20 years old. I just got so convicted by my lifestyle, my choices, everything I'd done against Christ, and I said, "What in the world am I doing?" And I began to take it seriously. So I'd carry my Bible everywhere I'd go, and, and I would just look for opportunities to read it. And it was like <laughs> light and darkness is clashing in Ashland, Oregon. It's crazy. And it's no different here at church. It's no different here. And what we're about to read this morning is a prophetical, futuristic event. Chapter fourteen of the Book of Revelation comes right after chapter thirteen. It's crazy. And if you were here last week, chapter 13, we saw Satan standing on the seashore looking to the world and the Antichrist rising up. took us two weeks to get through chapter 13. And once the Antichrist was revealed and empowered by Satan himself, he then rose up the false prophet who made the image and made everyone worship the image and made everyone in the world take the mark of the beast. Man, it was some gnarly, dark stuff. And John received this revelation 2,000 years ago And he's watching, going, oh, no. I mean, how horrible. The mark of the beast, the rise of the Antichrist, the false prophet. This one world. How horrible. And then, and then, and then. Chapter 14. It's a contrast chapter. It's a comfort chapter. It shows John then and us now what God sees simultaneously when all hell is breaking loose. There's two different vantage points. You can have heaven's vantage point, what what God's doing. Or or what the world demands of your attention. At any given day, you can have two points of vantage where you're seeing and deciding what you believe. I would encourage you students to read verse 1 of chapter 13 in contrast to verse 1 of chapter 14. They're, They're almost identical, except they see two different things. And last week, man, it was murky waters, the mark of the beast, and we talk about UPC symbols and the rise of tattoos and, you know, Visa and all the technological advances and the very first Apple computer ever sold sold for $666.66. 66, you know, how many of you guys fact checked some of the stuff I rattled off last week? Anybody fact check anything? Okay, because you guys should have, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it all checks out, though. All the Roman numerals added together, 666. It's just, it's, and here, here's the point of the Mark of the Beast in 666. The point isn't to figure out what system, what technology, what platform, what, what, what module will be used. It's going to happen. But the idea behind the Mark of the Beast is the real issue. And that is where we are tempted to set up lifestyles, systems, ideologies, okay, that are man-centered rather than Christ-centered. That is their antichrist. Antichrist doesn't mean against Christ, even though the antichrist will be against Christ. Antichrist means in place of Christ. I actually don't need him. I'm my own savior. I have my own system. I have my own beliefs. I have my own ways. I'm I'm actually doing okay. And that is a lifestyle, an ideology, a philosophy of life that is antichrist. And this is what the antichrist will do. So whether the mark is this or that or the other thing, it doesn't... The real issue is... Are you living your life right now, today, submitted to Christ? What does he want? Because if you're like John on the island of Patmos, you're suffering in one way, shape, or another, and you're crying out and you're praying, and the Lord then gives to John the revelation. And in the very beginning, it says that all who read it and hear it and do it will be blessed. And now, 2,000 years later, we got the same book, the revelation, and you're suffering. Life's not easy. It's downright difficult at times. I was just in my office, just pushing back the tears. Because it gets tough. Thinking about people that are suffering. And so in chapter 14, as we see this unfold now, I believe God wants to speak volumes to the church now. This is our opportunity to see what Jesus sees. Let's read a few verses. It says, Then I looked, and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven. I believe this is the father's voice. Like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. I believe in verse 2, the voice that was coming from heaven at this time to these 144,000, I believe it was the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. The Father was pleased. Remember these 144,000? Do you remember them? Revelation chapter 7. They were identified. They were saved, they were sealed, and they were sent to serve. And now, at the end of the tribulation, presumably, we see that they're presented safe. There's 144,000, not 139,000, 143,999. Last one. But instead, what the Lord I believe is illustrating to John here is, hey, tribulation's been nuts. It has been rough. This group of men missed the rapture. They were non-believers. The church was raptured. They were left behind and boom, grace met them and their eyes were opened up and they became tribulation saints and God chose them to then live through the seven-year tribulation as witnesses. (laughs) There are people throughout the ages who have claimed to be the 144,000. Let me just say, you don't wanna
1: be these guys.
0: You know what I'm saying? There's cults out there, there's leaders. We're the 144,000. It's like, that means you're a non-believer. Like You already blew it. Like Don't be them. They are them. God's got it. He's got it figured out. These are guys that will get saved in the tribulation and then live through it. And they're presented to the the lamb. Commentators divide on where the Mount Zion is, if it's heavenly Mount Zion or earthly Mount Zion. I don't know. I believe it's heaven because the voices rise up to the very throne room of God there with the harpists. I don't know. To me, it's not so much a matter of where this is happening. John sees this. This 144,000 joined with the lamb. The lamb. They're all there. And and just like the counterfeit mark of the beast where people are forced to take the mark on their forehead or their right hand. These guys have something on their forehead too. It's the father's name. Which system are you a part of? Whose name's on you? Because if your name is the name on your forehead, on your life, on your mind is the Father's, guess what? You too will be presented on that day faultless. You will make it through your trials. You will make it through your tribulation. You're gonna make it. I tend to take these 144,000 and I, I tend to celebrate them a little too much in my mind. I overdevelop maybe their protection and I think, well, they're anointed and they're protected and then these guys, they, just, they don't suffer Seven years, they're just like, they're, they're, they're above it all. And I don't think that's true. It's called the great tribulation. The time of God's wrath. Jacob's trouble. It's not a good time to be alive. And these guys go through it. And I actually don't think it's easy for them. In the next few verses, it's touted upon them. It's bragged upon them that they didn't fall into sexual immorality. That there was no guile or deceit found in their lips. I'll, I'll read it to you. It says that they followed the lamb everywhere they go. In other words, there was this temptation to fall. There was this temptation to flee. There was this temptation to get dirty. All these things. And these guys, they didn't do it. And John gets this revelation 2,000 years ago. And he's like, glory be to God who has a plan. John had suffered more than you will ever suffer. And I don't want to make light of your suffering because there's pain in this room. John was boiled alive in oil and didn't die. John had seen his friends decapitated in front of him. He'd seen his friends crucified upside down. His friends pulled apart and fed to beasts. He'd seen churches burn. He'd seen it all. And Jesus says, let me show you, John. The rise of the Antichrist, the rise of the false prophet, the rise of the one world government, it's going to happen And simultaneously, in the midst of suffering, chaos, and upheaval, in the midst of all that, we win. We win. You ever forget you're a winner? For me, it's called Monday. (laughs) Sometimes Tuesday. I forget. I get weird. And I get grouchy. I get down. I get all these things. We all do. And that's why we get the word of God. It's not emotional. It's not up and down. It's not subject to change. And you and I, we're just a bunch of, bunch of sheep. And we get into his word. Oh, yeah. That's what's going on. That's why I'm loving going through the book of Acts. I see Paul, man, this MMA fighter for Christ. He just wouldn't stop. Just wants to keep going. Because sometimes I want to stop. I just, I just, I just want to fall back a little bit. This morning, one of the th- things that Colleen Hansen prayed for in our 8.30 prayer time. She said, Lord, as the, as the stakes get rougher and higher, and as, as, we, as the church gets beat up, she prayed against the, the temptation to fall backwards into some of our destructive habits. And I just thought that was such an important word. Because I'm not going to walk away from Christ and denounce my belief. But my behavior can get kind of subject. And my behavior can get out of line pr- pretty easily. And I don't want to do that. In our trial, in your trial, in your testing, in our testing, I want to stand firm like these guys. And God's grace is sufficient for you today. If you haven't been perfect, if you are out of balance, there's things that are whack right now. Man, today's the day plead the blood. Remember your testimony. Deny your life. I believe these guys are trophies on display. Look at verse 3. It says they sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song Except the hundred and forty-four thousand who were redeemed from the earth, we've seen a lot of singing in heaven. Elders singing, 420 twenty elders—that's the church—and the beasts, the angels. And now all of a sudden, these hundred and forty-four thousand guys, they start to sing, and it's as if all of heaven goes silent. They're like, "Wait, I haven't heard this one yet. Nobody knows it. It hasn't been released on." K-Dove yet, you know. Nobody's heard it. It's not on air one. It's and I believe all of heaven goes silent. And these guys, that says, no one could learn it because it was coming from depth within the hearts of the experience of these 144,000 that suffered and stood tall and were rejected. And the song went up to heaven. Now, whether they're in heaven or on, I don't know. And here's the deal. You know where they learned this song? It was in their suffering. There's something very special that happens in our dark times. It doesn't happen in any other place. Like when an irritant goes into the depths of an oyster. It's not supposed to be there. And yet that oyster, it embraces it. It covers it. It begins to protect itself and cover it and embrace it. And it creates a pearl. It's not part of the plan. It's an outside force that has put pressure upon that oyster. And yet God redeems it. And in this world, you have already realized if you've lived longer than a year or so that life is tough and God is good. Don't confuse the two. Remember Silas and Paul? We talked about them a couple times today. we will be studying on Wednesday at 10 a.m. They were in Philippi telling people about Jesus. Right smack dab in the will of God. Do you remember how they got there? Paul was praying, Lord, where do we go? And he tried to go a few places and the doors were shut. Who shut doors. And so Paul did what all of us do when the doors are shut. He took a nap. And in the night vision, a Macedonian man stood up and said, come to Macedonia, come preach to us. And Paul woke up. He said, I know where to go. I know God's will. <laughs> and they went to Macedonia and got arrested and imprisoned. Before they were imprisoned, they were beaten openly. Before the magistrates, their backs were bludgeoned. And they were put into the inner stocks. The inner stocks, that's the lower part of the cell where all the bodily fluids of all the other inmates would run. There was no indoor plumbing. There was no, we're talking first century Roman jail in Philippi. And when you have your feet in the inner stocks, that means they're outspread eagle and you're not wearing your clothes and you're forced to then lay down with your back filleted wide open. This is before Neosporin was invented. And they're laying there in the filth of other inmates. And Saul says, Hey, how do you like the ministry, Silas? Be a missionary, they said. It'll be fun, they said. And he said, What do you want to do? Midnight. He said, Let's worship and they begin to worship read the story Acts 16 they worship and it says the prisoners are hearing and their chains break and the doors open and the jailer comes and he gets saved it's just a miracle in their suffering a song I don't always respond that way I want to I want to And sometimes it's in the small things I overreact and I underrespond, and it's in the big things, though, the suffering you're in right now, that God has you right where you're at. He wants to write on your heart a new song. Yet you're trying to dodge the pain just like we all do. We're trying to alleviate it, minimize it, escape it. We don't like pain. Pain relievers, man. We love them. Because there's no, I speak to you in the pain. I've told the story probably too many times, but in 2007, my wife and I... had a miscarriage in January. I was in Georgia and she was in Ashland. It was just worse worst situation. January 8th. And I remember talking to her on the phone as we were both crying. She was driving from Phoenix to Ashland and my sister was in town visiting luckily. And, and on, on the phone crying and snotting. And we, we sang. We worshiped. And I quoted to her and we sang out of Job chapter 1. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we we sang. It wasn't very good. (laughs) But we sang. Because he's worthy of it. Did you know that at any given time, at every given time, God's worthy of your praises right now? Interdependent upon your situation? He's worthy of it right now. Not only is he worthy of it, you need it. Just like, just like I need this Kleenex right now. Don't mind me. You need to worship the Lord. And not just you, but the people around you. Do you know right now people are forming their opinions on Christianity based on your life and your life alone? Like, it's pretty pitiful, but they're doing it there's other evidences out there that they should look to, but they're looking at you, your kids. we are looking at you, mom and dad. They're looking at you. What do you do? Those, those other inmates are looking at these two new guys in jail. They're locked up and they're worshiping, like, what are these guys doing? What kind of faith is that? Did you know that the secular, seeking world is not impressed with Christians that smile and are happy and everything's going well for them? And are worshiping God the day after they win the Lotto Bucks. They're not impressed with that. That's normal. You know what they're impressed by? As you navigate through the valley of the shadow of death. And you point to Jesus, your hope, the author and finisher. As you root down, as you anchor in, as you stand on the rock, as you're shook, I pray that people would see Jesus in my life. And in that very prayer, the Lord says, You sure? Because <coughs> I'll show them. But I got to crack some stuff open. I got to let the light shine. It's gonna, it might get dark. You sure? You sure you want to be used? You ever pray that prayer? Lord, use my life. Whoa. And I want to be used, you know. Lord, let me show the world how strong you are and how perfect your son is. And he says, I'm going to let you stumble. I'm going to shake you down. I'm going to expose you, Luke, because you're founded on the rock. We see these guys in the tribulation, and they got this special song. I'm going to say something that might hurt for some of you, it might, might offend some. I got this from, from John Corson. But you have two choices in your suffering. One is you can be like these guys and you can become a conductor of your own symphony. In your tears, you can sing. You can worship. You can give glory to God. You can do it. Or you can do what the rest of the world wants you to do. Instead of conducting your own symphony, you can go looking for and accept the world's sympathy. We all love sympathy, don't we? People tell us that we don't deserve it. And I'm so sorry for you. And the Bible says and commands us to bear each other's burdens, to comfort each other. It says that. But there's something within each one of us that I think Satan preys upon. He says, "Hey, you're down. Stay down. Just pain relief. Just." whatever you just inebriate or it's called, just just cover yourself. Do those things. And here's the subtle lie of sympathy. And it's different than care and concern. Please understand my heart. The subtle lie of sympathy is that you're saying in essence, I don't trust the Lord. I don't trust him. Your marriage fell apart, your health fell apart, your finances fell apart, things don't things didn't go right and you want to feel sorry for yourself, and you want other people to feel sorry for you. I get it. I get it. We love that stuff. But in essence, what you're saying is God doesn't know what he's doing. Wouldn't it be so radical if instead you said, life is tough, and God is good. I'm not going to confuse the two. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to give him glory. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I believe if you choose to be a symphony conductor that the challenge you're going through, the pain, the trial will have worth and value you'll hear the voice of God like thunder saying well done good and faithful servant and again we live in a society that loves to sympathize there are people that will take your money by the hour and give you sympathy He will set up appointments with you weekly. Tell you, you're okay. I'm okay. Okay? Or you can let the Lord be your counselor. Say, man, life is tough. God is good. Can you imagine John getting this message? The disciples at one point looked at Jesus Christ and said, hey, bro, we left everything to follow you. Because they are about to suffer. And Jesus said, I know. And you will be rewarded. Both here and in heaven. For everything you've given up for me. For everything you've suffered. And don't you know that Jesus hasn't just asked us to suffer well. But he modeled it. Jesus is not going to ask you to endure, to accept, to walk through anything that he himself wasn't willing to bleed out of his face for Hematrodosis. Such great stress that the capillaries in your face explode. Guys, these guys not only suffered, I just, I just need to read this for context. Verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes and these were redeemed from among men being first fruits to God and to the lamb. In their mouth was found no deceit for they are without fault before the throne of God. There's all kinds of attributes attached to these guys. They didn't fall into the worldly systems. Sexual immorality and perversion are at an all-time high in our world. And let me just tell you something. It's not going to get better before it gets worse. It's going to get worse before it gets worser. It's crazy out there, isn't it? And the church isn't, unfortunately, protected, fighting the same battles. And yet it's noted, these guys, they stayed the course. They're separate from the ways of this world. Whatever perversion that is. And may the Lord convict this church and us. Yeah, let's fight that battle. Let's get on that narrow path, that high road. Let's so do it. And if you've been testing the waters and messing around and being weird, stop it. Today, stop it. Come to the table. No guile, no deceit's found in their mouth. They're just they're good dudes. They follow the lamb everywhere they go. <laughs> this isn't the tribulation. We just saw the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, man. There's chaos. These guys are right there. Sometimes I just give myself a hall pass from being too aggressive or too creative or too, I just, you know, hey, the secular world doesn't want to hear my message. But I just need to calm down. Why post so much stuff on Facebook? Why, why be so excited about Jesus? They don't want to hear it. And I don't think that message is from the Lord. These guys, man, they just, they're in it to win it. Seven year tribulation saints. What? what an encouragement. You guys know that God is committed to not only these guys, but to the people that aren't these guys. He's committed to the rest of the world. John on the island of Patmos now gets the rest of this vision, and we're going to study a few more verses. And now we're introduced to three angels, they're messenger angels. Three angels that have been given over to the world during the seven-year period to fly back and forth with three separate messages. They each have three separate messages. They're preaching to the world, listen, in order that the world might be saved. And from one evangelist to another evangelist, this is enduring. It shows my God's heart. Look at what it says. It says, then I saw, verse 6, another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel. I've got that circle because this isn't a new idea. The gospel of Jesus Christ is from before creation began, before the first human took their breath. The good news, the gospel. See, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, the Holy Trinity didn't scramble for plan B. Oh, no,
1: they blew it.
0: Before the first human took their breath, It was a rescue mission. Everlasting everlasting means eternal. Before time began and after. Just so you guys know, this isn't like, God's not panicking. He loves you. And he means to save you. Even in your failures, even in your sin, he knows it. It's the everlasting gospel. This angel to preach to those, verse 6, in the middle, who dwell on the earth. To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Most believe that Matthew 24, 14 is fulfilled right here. Where Jesus says, hey y'all, before the end, the whole world's gonna hear the gospel. Every single person. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, and the, whole, and the gospel will be preached to every single tribe, tongue, and nation, boom, and then the end. Sometimes people panic and spaz out, like, how's everyone gonna hear? You know, God has it figured out. And by the way, the Bible says that God declares his glory and his plan through creation. And every single person in the world has experienced a level of his creation. And there isn't going to be one person in heaven that gets there objectively and says, I didn't have a chance. (laughs) You ever wonder about the one guy, you know, the Aborigine that lives on the island, you know, and had no one to tell him about the gospel? Listen, Jesus loves that guy more than you do. And he met that guy. That's what he said. If you harden your heart towards the Lord too many times, The Bible says he will not strive with you forever. But when the Lord gives you a shooting star or a sunrise or a sunset or a net full of fish or some miracle in his creation and you see it or a flower that blooms and blossoms when the sun comes out and then retracts when the sun goes down and follows the sun and you see the creation of the world, you see it and you soften your heart towards God and say, who made that? The Lord begins to speak to you. I promise. That's what he does. But if that doesn't work, God gave us this angel too to fly around. Here's what he says. Look at his his message. Verse 7. Saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Man, this angel got a legit message. Fear God, worship him, give your life. Judgment is here. Worship the one who made everything, the earth and the sky and the sea. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Look at these next two messages of these angels. Verse eight, the other angel. And another angel followed him saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Stop right there. Eyes up here just a one verse message. This angel flies around during the tribulation period saying Babylon doesn't work. Spiritual Babylon, false systems, they don't work. Political Babylon doesn't work. Governmental Babylon doesn't work. Commercial Babylon doesn't work. This angel making sure that nobody makes the mistake of buying into some utopia on earth says, no, no, none of it works. You guys realize that, right? Politics don't work. (laughs) Governmental systems don't work. It doesn't work. It's broken. Look around. Look around. From the beginning of time until now, mankind has been trying to set up their own tower of Babel. This idea that we can be anti-Christ, anti-savior, just do it our way. And this angel shows up so nobody's deceived and says, no, no, it don't work. Babylon's fallen. Now this next angel, and I'm going to circle back to the first angel because I like him the most. And I imagine these three angels showed up, you know, to the day, temporary agency, getting their job to the, you know, that morning and. Looking at the, you know, they'd rock, paper, scissor for the messages, you know. And, and the first angel, man, he got the coolest one. And the second angel got an easy This third angel, man, this poor guy. For seven years. Just flying. Here's what he says. Verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on their forehead or on their hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Stop right there, eyes up here. Whoa. Imagine that, on repeat, four verses. Like, I got four verses to yell for seven years, you know. And yet he's saying, don't take the mark of the beast because that's the line of no return. Can you imagine that? There's actually a, t- a line of no return in the future. Oh, you t- oh, no. And hell is your eternal destiny. Don't do it. Can you see the Lord pleading with people? People get so mad at God. Can't believe there'd be a God he'd invent a hell. Like, man, how mean is that? You know. It's like, what do you know? What do you know? My wife's sitting in the back there. I got three kids upstairs. At least I used to have three kids. I don't know where they're at now, but probably here. And I love them. I'm, I am love. People say God can't be loving because there's hell. You know, I love my family. Did you know that if something came into my home that threatened my wife or my three kids, that my love would be expressed in all hell breaking loose? No apology. If something came to attack that which I love the most, you would see hell. Hell wasn't created for humans. It was created for the, the devil. And God wills that none should perish. He doesn't want anybody to go there. As a matter of fact, in order to go to hell, you must step over his dead body. You got to step into it yourself. I don't, to, to be a wordsmith, I don't, he doesn't send anybody to hell. You send yourself. That's He's made every effort so no one has to go. Don't get it see, don't get it twisted. People don't universalism and pluralism. Everyone wants to think everybody it's all okay. Where's that ever work? Jesus talked about hell more than he did about heaven. And I think we need to understand that hell is real, that hell is hot, that hell is eternal, okay? And it's hell. It's not okay. If you're honest, if you just got a heartbeat at all, you don't even like the idea. You don't li- I don't like it at all. And it should pain you to think that anybody would ever spend eternity there, and it should then motivate you to live your life differently. Did you know that people are forming their opinion on Christ based on the way you live your life? Part of my job is to preach the word and to, to labor with to rescue people. That's what I, as a pastor, as a shepherd, but the church, we all have our responsibility and we should have a heart that beats and says, Lord, what if you could just use me at all to soften the heart of one man, one woman, Lord, use me. Let them see an authentic Christian. Oh, does that mean a perfect Christian? <laughs> no. An authentic Christian is a Christian who knows grace. Who knows the voice of the Father. Who knows where to go once you've gone prodigal and how to come back. That's a a real Christian, in my opinion. Somebody who knows how to go to the Father. Do you do that? It's easy to be all law, all the truth, all, It's easy. What the world needs is mercy and grace. Guys, these angels are sent out. John sees this. 144,000 stand strong. And the simple admonition and encouragement from this first angel, read it again with me. I just love this guy's message. Verse saying, saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is coming. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. We've been kind of talking about worship all day here. Just worship. This song that we sing, even in the midst of non-worshipful seasons, You need to worship him. He's worthy of your praise. The people around you are watching. It's that important. And let me just say something. I don't mean to pick battles and I don't want to be controversial, but I'll just say it. This angel is not confused as far as it pertains to who created the world. This angel is not an evolutionist. This, This angel doesn't believe in Evolution and some of you are thinking well that angel doesn't know as much as i do i went to community college <laughs> it's kind of funny let me just say something and just wrestle with it evolution is just a theory with very little evidence very, at least at least dependent at least in regards to what should be available If evolution were true, if it were true, if it it actually happened, as the evolutionary timetable says, billions and billions of years, did you know within each billion years, there's many, many multiplied millions of years, like so many millions, it's crazy. And, And the way it works is for every million years upon a million years, as these species, as they were evolving... Okay, they live their lifespan. There's so many of them, and the reproduction cycle is going so crazy because in order to have an evolutionary timeline, you've got to have reproduction-like. There's going to be so many for it to slowly metamorphosize. And in that, millions and millions and millions of years, okay, there would be millions and millions and millions and millions of cat horses. <laughs> that is a cat that is transitioning to a horse or a horse to a cat. There, it's just it, over the millions, so many multi-species. We call it transitional form fossils. There would be so many of them. If evolution were true, they would be you would just start digging and there would be a cat horse here and a cat horse there and cat horses everywhere. There would be so many cat horse carcasses or zebra giraffes. You ever seen a zebra giraffe? I'm just saying, there would be, there would be, because of the multiplied millions necessary to evolve a species. I mean this replication upon replication. You know how many how many cat horses we have in, in museums today? Not not even one. Not even one. I mean, you would expect there to be like seven. <laughs> How about seven? Out of the millions of them! But, but there aren't any. Because it never happened. It just never happened. Now, let me say, say something different. Did you know that creationism is just a theory? It's just a theory. The Bible declares it. It's just a theory. And just like evolution, there is very little evidence, evidence, Okay? to help you believe in the creation theory. I'm a creationist. I believe in creation. But there's little to no evidence of the creation theory. Both are theories. Pick one. There's no evidence. I'll just use a strong word. No evidence. Email me later. <laughs> Pastor Marty at southbeachchurch.com. <laughs> there's no evidence for either theory. Interesting that God would put us in that quandary, isn't it? Now here, as a believer, here's my problem. And I believe in science. I believe in adaptation. I believe God has proven through science. God created the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. Okay? And he is fantastic. And he has created it on purpose so you wouldn't make up dumb stories. Our our nearest star is eight minutes away at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. In order to get to the next star, and there's lots of them out there, the next nearest star, it doesn't take eight minutes. It takes 4.3 years at the speed of light. It's 25 trillion miles away. 25 trillion miles away, the next nearest star. And yet a creationist or an evolutionist will say, yeah, out of nowhere, from nothing, for no reason. You could take 1.3 million Earths in circumference and put it inside of our sun. But you could take 9 billion suns and put it in Can- Canis Majoris, one of the biggest stars that we've been able to discover. All of this, and you have to just ask yourself, Which narrative are you going to believe? And God has left us without a lot of evidences, but he has emphatically declared, I did it. As a matter of fact, here's where the real trouble is. Genesis 1, first book of the Bible. God says, I made everything. And if you at that point want to give God a big old technical foul, technical foul, Darwin says otherwise. Now, here's my problem. Just go with me. <laughs> check, check, This is actually really important. Because if you take God at his very first claim and put an asterisk and say, well, I don't believe that. At the very first claim? Did you know that the rest of the claims of the scriptures are gonna be irrelevant to you? You're gonna explain away everything. Nothing has any traction anymore. And let me say it this simply. If your God is not big enough To do what he said he would do and to create the world with his word. If he's not big enough to do that, then why even worship him? And be your own God. Do it your way. Try that out. And yet, here's what I do I submit. It's okay. I did go to community college and some university and some jail. Got my, anyways. I'm just, I'm too dumb. I can't figure it all out. There's too many holes in both theories. So I'm just going to go with what God said. He was there at the beginning. He said it. It saves me from a lot of heartache. And when you just study the world, do it. Study the world. Study your eyeball, your retina. You guys like planet Earth? You ever studied planet Earth? It's so crazy. And to think it just came from nowhere. Design demands and denotes designer. There is no other origination in the world that doesn't have that equation and a designer. Nothing. Yet we take the world like, well, the world does. Do you know how much design is in the world? How much epic design and creativity? And I'm almost done. I promise. Land on the plane. Land on the plane. (laughs) I trip out on this stuff though because I want to worship God freely in my small little mind. And I apologize for being condescending to those who have different viewpoints. But God has not left himself without a witness. He's given to us his creation. Superfluous ways. That means abundantly. How many of you guys like apples? You like apples? God made those for us. I used to like Fuji apples. They're really good. Until this year, I started eating Honeycrisp. You ever had those before? Yeah. Get on my level. They're so good. <laughs> Fuji's, man. Whatever. I'm done. Honeycrisp. How many times, organics are so good, they explode in your mouth, you know. So good, go get some. How, how many apples do you think God created on planet Earth? How many, how many, how many varieties do you think there are? I'll just tell you 7,500. Okay, Fuji's, Honeycrisp, and a bunch more. There are 5,000 types of ladybugs on planet Earth. There are 14,000 different types of daffodils. Just a daffodil. We just had Valentine's Day. Maybe you guys bought some flowers. And all you guys out there, I thought there was like roses and posies and pansies. And God's like, oh, I made 14,000 daffodils, dummy, you know?
1: <laughs>
0: what are flowers for you, primarily? I mean, they're an expression of our love. Not just 14,000 daffodils. There's 4 million types of flowering trees and species on planet Earth. 4 million. I like to think about the flowers that grow in the woods that will never be seen. They're just God just, God just geeking out on, on his love for the planet. He just loves us. He made so many things. You know there's over 35,000 species of spiders, which just proves the world's cursed, man. I mean, come on. <laughs> Leeches have 32 brains, which would totally suck. Leeches suck. Google it. Guys, Brian's gonna come up and he's gonna lead us in a song, but let me. I can't believe I ended on that. Total mistake. I'm so thankful for God's grace that in the storm you're in right now the trial, the tribulation, the real deal it's real and if it's not super real and vibrant right now it's going to be next week, it's going to be next month it's just guaranteed God has a special song for you He's so real He made you I can talk about evolution and creation and let's not divide on that, let's not go there but God made you You're so rad. You're his daughter. Like he loves you in his wallet. He pulls out his wallet. He's got pictures of you. He loves you. He's fighting for you right now. He wants to bless you. You're going to live your life. It's going to be, it's already been determined how long it is. You're here in Lincoln County. All these things are already decided right now. You're just here. You're worried about the future, the far future, the near future. God says, I got all that. I got all that. I just want, just want your heart. I just love you. God's real good at making stuff and flowers and fruits. He, he makes stuff. But his greatest prized possession is you. And he sent Jesus down to to die for your sins. So you could be with him forever. Even right now, just let him squeeze your heart. Let him, just ask him right now. Lord, are you real?
1: Ask him. Ask him.
0: Lord, do you really love me? Ask him in your heart right now. Ask him that question. Lord, your love is demonstrated on the cross in that when we were yet sinners, you died for us. How much more so now do you want to bestow to us loving mercy and grace in our mess no one here is perfect not a a one and as we take communion now Lord we come to the table in Jesus name thanking you Lord for your love it's seen it's evidenced even right now in this room your love is real Would you forgive us, Lord, of our sins, of our trespasses, our iniquities, our failures? Lord, each one of us in here have a whole list. And we plead the blood. We just plead the blood. We remember our testimony. Lord, would you help us to deny our lives? We thank you for all you've done, Lord. You're so kind. And as we come to the table now, we examine ourselves. We proclaim your death until you return. Would you be honored in this time? And if you're here this morning and you're not sure really what's going on or if you should take communion or not, just know that Jesus died for you. Whether you want him to or not, he did. And he's made a place for you at the table through his death. And if you would allow him to serve you this morning, by partaking of the, the cup and the bread. It's just bread we got at J.C. Market. Some grape juice, Welches. And yet when you receive it, you're saying, Lord, I receive what you did. I receive it to myself. And so we do this as a response to the Lord. So Father, would you be honored as we receive of your Son and his offering to us? We do this now in Jesus' name. Amen.